Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and we said that we were going to get into a Defenders review in this episode, but with the way things are shaping up with the rumors, we thought that that might not be the best idea. There's plenty of other footy to talk about, so we are going to get into the Euro 2020 final, penalty shootout strategy, our team of the tournament. Obviously, we're going to discuss the shameful racist abuse that Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho, and Bukayo Saka suffered. And we're going to talk about the impact of Marcus Rashford's shoulder surgery as well. Carl, obviously you're a big England fan. You've had a few days to recover now. I imagine it's still a bit rough, but how are you feeling overall? Definitely a sore one to take, Vivek. It reminds me of the World Cup final, uh, sorry, World Cup semifinal where England were once again 1-0 up and then they lost 2-1 to Croatia. Except in this instance, you know, they had a fantastic start, really had the momentum going. And then after the first 30 minutes, Italy started to work their way back into the game. Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling were nullified completely. And then, you know what, looking at this from an unbiased perspective on the balance of play, Italy deserved to win that game. They were the team that was attacking. Obviously, they needed the goal. But I think England, for all their attacking talent and depth, went too far into their shell. And then, as is always the case, when you try to flip that switch, it's not easy to do that. Trying to attack again proved to be much harder than they thought it would be. And then you knew when it went down to the dreaded penalties with England's record from the past. And then with them shooting second... The odds were stacked against them, and lo and behold, Italy come out on top. Two penalty wins in the same tournament. I think that's the first time that's happened. But uh, kudos to them. They were a fantastic team, undefeated in more than 30 games. So it's not like you could say they weren't deserved winners. So congratulations to them. Yeah, 34 matches unbeaten now. I think that team, you look at the transformation from not qualifying for the World Cup in 2018. And it was almost like the perfect marriage, right? You had Roberto Mancini, who was struggling, looking for a new beginning. Italy, obviously, looking for a new beginning. They decide to come together. And now here they are as the Euro champions. Obviously, they started in style. That 3-0 win over Turkey set the tone for their campaign, cruised through the group stage. And then in every match, they seem to do what was required against Austria. That was probably a bit below par, but we saw a hint of what Mancini is capable of in terms of making tactical adjustments, makes those attacking substitutions, which pays off with a couple of goals in extra time. Then they go to a match where they were going to be the underdogs against Belgium. They score those two goals. They look fantastic. They give away the silly penalty right before halftime and it looks like the second half might be a different game Mm -hmm. and it might have been if Romelo Lukaku had taken his chances Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but sometimes that's the way it goes and one team doesn't take their chance the other team takes their chances those can often be the difference in a major international tournament Italy come out of that they go to the semis where they were completely outplayed by Spain Spain were clearly the better team they just found a way I mean, I remember Chiesa speaking after the match and he was asked about Spain and he was like, there's nothing you can say. Spain were great. They they were amazing, but 
that's when he highlighted the will the other part that you need in a squad that cohesion that togetherness that willingness to battle when it's tough and difficult and you really just have to get stuck in they come out of the penalty shootout there and then came their biggest test it was the first time that they trailed in the entire tournament and how were they going to respond we saw how england responded to trailing against denmark and now it was italy's turn and pretty much from that 30th minute mark they were clearly the better side i think the only reason england came back to it it came back into it later was because of the chiesa injury and the fact that he had to come off i look back on this match and if i'm evaluating southgate if i'm evaluating england the warning signs were there in those 15 minutes before halftime. Obviously, Chiesa had that incredible run through the middle of the pitch and fired barely wide. You could see the way Italy were starting to boss the game, dominate possession, really control the tempo. I think that's where Southgate needed to heed the warning signs. And if you're going to be critical of Southgate within the context of this final, obviously he did a great job of getting the team to the final but within the context of the final to react with the substitutions in the 70th minute after italy get the goal when you could clearly see the danger signs especially as soon as mancini made those 55th minute subs and took off immobile and said hey we are coming for this as hard as we can now southgate should have known then and there this is trouble if, if he wasn't going to take the warning at halftime. And I thought that's where England lost the game. Yeah, I agree with you, Vivek. I think, why be reactive when you can be proactive? And it's not like, you know, sometimes as Ole has faced in the past, there just aren't those options on the bench to change the game tactically. No such case when it came to the England team. He had picked a great squad, which allowed him for a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, Right. And there were different ways he could do go about it. He had Jordan Henderson on there. You could tell Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips were running their socks off and they were getting pretty tired. You could see Chiesa running circles around the England team coming in from the left, cutting in and coming in through the middle. I thought, you know, Jordan Henderson would have been a good sub to get on there. And here's another alternative. If you bring on the likes of Jack Grealis, yes, he's not the best defender. However, you're now posing a problem for Italy that they have to defend. If they commit as many people as they were committing, Jack Grealish is good enough to pick a pass and make them pay for it. Now, that's a risk that most people aren't willing to take because they look at the headlines afterwards. Hey, manager makes attacking change, opens team up, Italy comes in and scores. Well, that happened anyways Mm -hmm. from a, a corner kick, a very glitchy goal, so to speak. Uh, yeah, it was definitely a, a scramble in front of goal. It just so happened that Bonucci broke free. I mean, he was he was at the near post. And as soon as that ball went over the top, he kept his eyes on the prize and worked his way into position to score. So credit to him for almost showing striker-like instincts. I mean, I'm sure Cavani watching that would have been proud. Absolutely. Credit to him there. And yeah, I think you're spot on. I've always been a believer that when you minimize your own attacking threat, you tell the other team that they have nothing to worry about. And it allows them to focus even more on attacking and take even more risk. You look at where you could hurt Italy 
You look at the pace that they struggled to deal with. You look at the way Chiellini pulled back Saka. Mm-hmm. Those are the things where you know you're making the opposition think twice about certain things. And there was nothing that Italy had to think twice about. But let's move on to the shootout. Obviously, that's a huge talking point. And let's start with the big one. Bakayo Saka, he takes the fifth kick. And for me, I don't have a problem if he's taking a kick, a kick in the shootout. But as a manager, you've got to recognize that he cannot be taking the fifth one. The one that is most likely to have the highest pressure. What were your thoughts when you saw that? Vivek, before I give you my thoughts, you know, Michael Owen came out yesterday and he was he said that, you know, people blaming Saka or saying, hey, he's too young to take a kick. He's only 19 is a load of BS. That's what he said. And he, he then went on to post the ages of players who have missed in the tournaments and they've all, all been in their mid to late 20s, saying that, hey, older players have missed. So putting an older player doesn't mean that you're not going to miss. I don't necessarily agree with Owen. I think Garrett Southgate, of all people, should know what it feels like to miss a penalty and potentially let your country down. And so putting that kind of burden on such a young guy, first tournament with the national team uh, at the international stage, I mean, I, I don't know if I would I put him in that number five spot. Uh, hindsight, obviously, is twenty twenty, but there are a lot of other players that you could have put there. Saka could have taken one of the earlier kicks, you know, because you think about it, even a Marcus Rashford, he's taken a super, super high-pressure penalty for Manchester United against PSG, 94th minute, you scored this goal. You basically threw comeback for the ages. And he slotted that in with a plum. So even flipping Rashford and Saka, I would have had no problem with that. Uh, I, I definitely did find it surprising that Saka went number five. Now, obviously, uh, Garrett Southgate has mentioned, hey, we've been practicing penalties. We've had a plan. So I'm guessing this wasn't anything new. And so... If Saka was uncomfortable, he would have said something. But at the same time, you can never, you know, you can do anything you want in practice. But when it comes to the actual game at home, Wembley, 60,000 fans, completely different situation. Vivek, so what, yeah. I, I just want to interrupt you there because you said, hey, if Saka is uncomfortable, he'll say something. But from my perspective, I actually think the younger players are prone to just accepting whatever is in front of them because... You're the one who's new to the squad. You don't really have the voice to really dictate exactly what you want to do. So if the manager says, hey, one, two, three, four, five, Saka, you good? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's how the conversation goes. Uh, I don't think Saka is necessarily raising his hand and saying, let me be number five. Right. <laughs> and frankly, if there's anyone who's saying something along those lines, it should be a Harry Kane. That's a good point. I Actually, that that is a good point, Vivek. You know, from a... In a new player in the squad, it's rare that you're going to say no because, believe it or not, it takes a lot of bravery to say no as well because you don't want to let your teammates down. I so. mean, in cricket, we saw someone like a Bancroft who's new to the team. Your captain and your vice captain is telling you to do something illegal and he couldn't even say no to that, right? Yes. So it shows the pressure uh, that a young player can have in these situations to deal with and just say, okay, if this is this is what the manager thinks is best, then yeah, no problem. I'll do it. And then 
you're sort of left to deal with the consequences. Vivek, did you have any issue with bringing in Rashford and Sancho haven't touched the ball straight into the penalty shootout? Because I know there's been a lot of debate on bringing players cold and making them take a kick. What's your opinion on this? That I don't have a problem with. I mean, we just saw in the Europa League final, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer bring on Juan Mata and Alex Tellez, fresh off the bench, hadn't touched the ball. They come in and they absolutely fire their penalties in. That shows that, you know, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, having a feel for the game on the pitch, breaking a sweat to go out and hammer home a penalty. What do you make about those people that say, okay, there's a slight difference between that because that was one game versus a tournament where you haven't played that much, so you've been cold that much longer? I mean, I think that that's just semantics at this point. I think the people who want to make that argument are going to make that argument no matter what. And and so for me, when I look at it, what I would analyze is maybe there are certain types of players that you can do that with. So for example, you look at a Juan Mata, you look at an Alex Tellez, you would look at them as dead ball specialists. Mm-hmm. And so that's a question to ask. Would you look at a Jaden Sancho and a Marcus Rashford the same way? Yes. I, with Marcus Rashford, I would say yes. With Jaden Sancho, I haven't seen enough to necessarily feel that way. But if Southgate saw enough in training, which he said this is how the decision came about, then you have to trust the manager in this situation. So in terms of subbing on someone in the 120th minute to take part in a penalty shootout, I have no issues with that whatsoever. And I think it's a bit reactionary. I mean, let's face it. Rashford's penalty, a few inches to the right, and no one's saying anything. He's got Donnarumma the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the margins that we're talking about. And for me, even from a goalkeeping perspective, I've seen a goalkeeper come on in the 120th minute with ha- having no feel for the game, having not made a save at all, and then go win a penalty shootout in the World Cup to put his team into the semifinals. Tim Krul. So the whole feel for the game and they have to be involved and this and that and they'll be better prepared for the shootout. I'm not buying any of that. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it is an absolute load of bollocks when people are saying that, to put it politely. You are a professional footballer. I mean, even if I'm going up, I'm putting the ball. Yes, as a crowd, you're thinking about it. You have to put the ball. Number one thing, make sure that the the ball's on target. And then if the keeper saves it, fair play to them, right? Make sure you take it with some power. Don't do any of these, like, uh, let me start, stop kind of run up. Just run in and bang it in. Harry Kane, Harry Maguire showed you exactly how it's done, right? That was fantastic. Can we talk penalties. about the Harry Maguire penalty? I mean, oh my God. He, I did not run out, eh? <laughs> I did not expect Harry Maguire to take the best penalty in the maybe the entire tournament. Yes, that was a fantastic penalty. The amount of risk involved. I, when they showed that slow motion replay, man, the, there are so many things I could go wrong with the way he lined that up. I mean, you, you say you say that, and it's a great point because if you look. At what David Beckham tried to do yes. when he skied his penalty against Portugal, that was the exact type of penalty he was trying to take. And it's Maguire who executed. And to your point, Vivek, if Maguire's doesn't go on target, what's the headlines going to be? Maguire, why did you run up like this? This is what happens when you get a defender taking a penalty. That would have been the narrative. Yep. So it's 
it's clear to see that, okay, once again, Rashford's penalty, a couple inches to the right, everybody's praising him on how calm he is not having a single touch and then slotting it in the back of the net. Now, hey, he didn't have a single touch. That's why he didn't score it. I don't believe that at all. These are professional football players. They can knock it in in their sleep. It's just one mistake that happened, and that's it. Other things I wanted to point out as well, because I was looking this up as far as other options are concerned. Jack Grealish, per transfer market, the last time he took a penalty was Jan 25th, 2016, when he was still playing Division 2. Raheem Sterling, he's two for five in penalties. And the two mechs, one was in September of 2017 against Watford in a 6-0 win. So you can imagine what the pressure is like there. Uh, and then Iceland in the Nations League, UEFA Nations League. Stones, Shaw, Phillips, Kyle Walker never attempted a penalty at this level. Jordan Henderson, he scored one in 2021. If there was one player you maybe made an argument, it was the player who came off there. Jordan Henderson, when you look at his mentality, his leadership, the fact that he has taken penalties, I think that's the one player I would look at and say, was he the right player to take off? That's the one that puzzled me. I will say that because he was a sub that got subbed. And the only reason he got subbed was because of penalties. Uh, At that point, you know what? You leave him on the pitch. He's got that experience. He's a captain of the Liverpool Football Club, you know, and it's not a small club. So he's he's been in pressure, pressure situations. So that was the one that was a little puzzling. I would love to know what happened there. But I can only imagine that obviously there's conversations that have gone on, gone on behind closed doors, which probably lead to something like this where the players aren't surprised. I did find it surprising that Jack Grealish decided to come out and uh, kind of out his manager. But he said he had to defend himself because people were saying that he didn't want to take a penalty. Okay, I find that interesting because, uh, you know, some people have said he's outing his manager. But for me, I didn't quite find it that way. Why don't you tell me why you thought he was calling out the manager by doing that? Well, it sounded like Jack Grealish is like, hey, I put my hand up to take a penalty. I just wasn't selected. Now, he did go on to say that, hey, Garrett Southgate has made a lot of right decisions and he continued to make right decisions. Right, So in that sense, he's not so much outing his manager, but I just found, I think, the timing. Hey, you know, people are always going to say something bad about you in the press. Just, you know, keep it together as a team. If you if you knew you wanted to take a penalty, you knew that. You didn't have to say it. Fair enough. Yeah, for me, I just feel like if the press are going to come out and make those accusations and make it seem like he didn't want to take one, then I think he has every right to defend himself. Because... If we make false accusations about these players and then we also criticize them when they actually reveal the facts of the situation, then we're basically saying we don't want to be held accountable for anything that we say. That's a that's a fair point, Vivek. Um, You know what? If I was in that situation and everybody was accusing me of being a coward and not wanting to step up, you best believe I'm going to tell them who the real coward is. So fair enough. That's a that's a good uh, that's a good point you make. And I think that's a, that's a great uh, way to segue into one of our other topics about not being held accountable for what we say. And, uh, you know, this topic of, hey, the players who missed them being black and that's why they missed the penalty and the racist abuse that Sancho, Rashford, Saka have been getting is, 
is just embarrassing, absolutely embarrassing. Uh, I've read like uh, many, many articles afterwards, and there was one from the Athletic. Uh, he had a headline that says, "Hey, you're good to, you're okay to be black until you make a mistake." That I'm paraphrasing, and I thought that was very powerful because correct me if I'm wrong, Vivek. I don't know if you remember, but like when Beckham missed his penalty, when Garrett Southgate missed his penalty, did they ever? relate him missing a penalty to him being white no nope. yeah so so why are we suddenly changing the narrative here and like oh you know let's use their skin color to demean them because they've missed a penalty they've missed a penalty because they've missed a penalty it has nothing to do with the color of their skin i don't understand why people can't get over this yeah man it's disgusting it's vile it shows how far society has to go in terms of just certain areas evolving their thought being more aware and you know just frankly even just exposing themselves to different cultures and experiences and realizing that there's at the end of the day a lot more that brings us closer together than there is that actually separates us and yeah it's it's shameful it's disgusting you know, I keep thinking out loud about whether whether with social media we've reached a point now with this abuse that we basically have to make it mandatory to have IDs to create an account. Because there are people who create burner accounts and they want to make jokes. And obviously those jokes are, uh, can be very funny. But at the same time, if it's coming at the cost of racial abuse and the level of discrimination that we see to marginalized communi- communities, I don't think it's worth it. And if, if that's the only way to stop it, I mean, obviously, ideally, you just want to create algorithms that are, that are able to just shut it out and just don't allow it to happen. But the fact that it hasn't happened to this point, it almost makes me lean the other way. At what point do you hold these companies accountable, though? They seem to be getting away with a lot of things. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. You're, right now, anybody can sign up for an account. And I understand that from a business perspective, you want to get your user base as big as possible. So don't put too many roadblocks. But at the same time, you can't just say whatever you want to say and think you can get away with it. You would never say those things to a person's face because you know what might happen to you. It's something that needs to be taken more seriously. It's something that needs to be addressed. Maybe until we have enough voices at the top that have actually had these experiences and understand the importance of addressing it head on and doing something about it ASAP, we won't see those changes, but it's, it's sad. It's sad that it keeps coming up and that that was the other part of it, right? Like we were not surprised when it happened. Mm -hmm. As soon as the shootout ended, you knew this was going to happen. And that's the worst part of it. I hope people understand why the players were taking the knee now. This isn't just, you know, for the fun of it. They're trying to make a statement because things like this still happen in today's society. And that's where Gary Neville made a great point, right? He called out the government because they said, hey, if the fans want to boo them, that's fine because these players are making a choice. Well, guess what? This is what you've enabled. Absolutely. I'm so happy he said that because a lot of people would be afraid to bring the government into this. But And the funny thing is those people who said it's okay to boo were the same people that were condemning the hate speech on on these accounts. It looks like you want to have the cake and eat it. Mm -hmm. 
on the plus side, I must say I've been following this, you know, in Manchester and in Rashford's hometown, there's this mural that's been painted of him with this saying from his mom. And that had been vandalized with some racist words that were written on there. But since then, you know, people from the town and the neighboring towns have not only covered up those words, but they've posted messages of love. And I found that extremely heartwarming. And it showed, you know what, as a society, let's not let the, the, the minority dictate how we think of certain people. And I found that very, very strong when the people, everybody put aside their loyalties to Manchester City, to Sheffield Wednesday, to you know Burnley, whoever it was. And they all came and they posted messages. I think we need a lot more of that. Yeah, that's well said, Carl. Hopefully Rashford gets all the love uh, that he deserves and he'll need it even more now as he's going to be in recovery soon. Rashford had a muscle tear in his left shoulder that he's actually been managing since last November. They've arrived at the conclusion that it's not something that's just going to go away with rest. So they've decided to opt for surgery. Unfortunately, the doctor isn't available until the end of July, and that's going to push his return until potentially late October. You look at the Premier League beginning August 14th, it means he could miss up to eight league matches. October 23rd is a big fixture against Liverpool. October 30th, you're away to Tottenham. November 6th, you're at home against Manchester City. You would love to have him back for those fixtures. Realistically, I think maybe a substitute appearance against Liverpool might be feasible based on what we've heard so far. Vivek, what are your thoughts on with Rashford being out of the lineup? There's a certain player who's going to get a chance to shine presently wearing the number nine, Anthony Martial. (laughs) So I think this is an interesting point of debate because if you're Solskjaer and you're focused on just having the best players out there on the pitch. Maybe you say, yeah, that is to have Anthony Marshall in and have Pogba play deeper for either one of Scott or Fred, and you're maximizing the talent that's out there. In terms of the results that have played out last season, I would say he's more likely to have Pogba on the left, Cavani in the middle, Sancho on the right, and then he'll basically have what he had last season. I lean towards that. I actually think Pogba is going to move into that hole on the left, which might make things interesting for when uh, Rashford comes back. Interesting, Vivek. I think that we're in the territory of last chance saloon for Anthony Martial. He couldn't have asked for anything better. With Rashford being out, he now has an opportunity to prove himself. Yes, you know what? I agree with you. I think Pogba will get that start initially. However, with the games coming thick and fast it's going to provide opportunities for Martial. He had those same opportunities last year, didn't take it. This year, he didn't play the Euros, so he's on way more rest than a lot of the players that are going to be playing for Manchester United. And he really needs to capitalize. The other knock-on effect of this Rashford injury, I think it means that we won't be sending out as many players on loan as we thought. And I think one person who might stay at the club now instead of getting sent out on loan is Daniel James because we could use him on the left or the right. So I think that's another domino effect from this Rashford injury. 
Can you see the possibility of Pogba playing deeper, Sancho playing on the left, and Greenwood being the one who gets the slot on the right? No, I can't see that, Vivek, if I'm being honest. So this is what I can see. If we sign a certain player named Rafael Varane, we now have a defense where we do not have to protect them as much, which means playing one DM is a possibility. And what I mean is we would still play that 4-2-3-1. Pogba plays in one of those two DM spots. However, he's got the license to move up. And whether it's Scott or Fred, we don't, we, they can play and they don't have to worry about the speed in behind Maguire because you've got Varane who can cover that, which still allows four and Anthony Martial on the left and Pogba playing and Bruno playing and Sancho playing. I do believe that Greenwood is going to play either on the right-hand side or as a striker. I can't see him playing on the left, if I'm being honest. If no, no, I'm so a... that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Sancho on the left. Like Sancho has, has played quite a bit on the left for Dortmund. So that w- so putting Sancho on the left and then Greenwood on the right. I don't know if I, I can see that just because I know Anthony Martial's preferred position is on the left and Sancho was brought in to fill that right-hand side gap. So I don't, I don't know if I could see that one happening. Fair enough. That's the wild card that I'll throw out there then. <laughs> All right. Because if I had to personally make a pecking order, I would have Martial below Sancho and Greenwood. Okay, fair. And uh, I, I must throw in a little shout out here. Vivek's wild cards of late have been pretty good when it comes to predictions. He uh, he called way before anybody else even thought about it that Denmark would go far in the tournament, and uh, they did. So well done, Vivek. <laughs> Well, hey, you had Italy as a favorite to win, so maybe you should have said England. <laughs> you know what, Vivek? I wish I'd put some money on Italy like someone else I know. <laughs> now, as we're making picks, I think that's a perfect segue, too. We can get into our team of the tournament. Obviously, there were a lot of names. I think as I was looking through the list there were players that I really wanted in the mix. And it was at the end of the day, you just have to make that hard call and say, hey, a little less with the heart, a little more with the brain. Carl, how did you find this process? And maybe let's get started with the, the picks. Yeah, you know what? I, I, for me, there were so many players that I wanted to put in this team. The only way I could figure out how to go about it and come up with the process was for me to pick my formation. Once I picked my formation, it would be a little easier for me to pick the players in that team. And so I ended up going with a, a 4-2-3-1 formation and picked based on that. It had nothing to do with the fact that United plays that system. So, <laughs> um, And so before I reveal my team, and just for the listeners, Vivek and I have not revealed our teams. This is the first time we're re- revealing it. So you're going to get some, uh, some raw feedback right here. Um, <laughs> Vivek, what formation did you go with? So because I was struggling with who to leave, uh, pick who to leave out, I said, let me reverse it a bit. Let me pick my manager, which is Roberto Mancini. And he played a 4-3-3 throughout. So let me go with the 4-3-3 and then pick my players accordingly. Fair enough. Okay. So I'm just going to reveal. So my manager was also Mancini. I thought from a tactic standpoint, overcoming... Southgate overcoming Spain, overcoming Belgium, not easy to do. They had the tough path and they succeeded. So Mancini. That's a gauntlet to win the tournament. You win the tournament beating Belgium, Spain, uh, and England. You've got a lot to be proud of. Absolutely. So my keeper at the back is not who everybody else picked in Donnarumma. It's Jan Sommer. 
who plays for Switzerland. Wow. So that's who I went with. I thought he was instrumental in getting the Swiss as far as they did. They didn't keep as many clean sheets, but what he did in the penalty shootouts, including the shootout that they lost to Spain, he did everything he was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. It's his attackers that didn't live up to their end of the bargain. But this is why I went for Jan Sommer. And I, I thought that Donnarumma, even though he's great, he had such a fantastic backline in front of him, especially with Chiellini and Bonucci. He actually wasn't called upon as often. When he was, he did the right thing, but he wasn't called upon. And that's why I went with Jan Sommer. Okay. I write back was Kyle Walker. Center back positions, Bonucci and Chiellini. And then left back was Luke Shaw. So I know in the actual team, there was Harry Maguire. I just was absolutely flabbergasted with the way that Chiellini played. He is an old man, but he did not look like that. He used all his tactical experience and know-how, putting Kane in your pocket. Mind you, Kane was dominating the first 30 minutes in that final. Mm-hmm. And then there was a switch. And well, that's because he was problem. really dropping deep. He was really dropping deep, exactly. But then you talk about in-game management. Yeah, Mancini did a great job. But don't get it wrong. Bonucci and Chiellini, they know how to manage in the game. And you better believe that they've probably given some instructions to Jorginho or whoever else was playing, and they trapped Kane together. So I thought that was very well done, and they did that throughout the tournament. Yeah, Chiellini didn't play a couple of games, but still from he was fantastic. Kyle Walker, probably one of the standout performers for England. Anytime the ball went in behind, his pace, I do not think he lost a single duel when it came to speed. And then Luke Shaw, I mean, he had, what, three assists and one goal? It was a tight one. I think if Spinazzola was still playing, he would still win that award. But Luke Shaw, I think, with his goal in the final, swayed me in that direction. I thought he had a fantastic tournament. His delivery into the box was fantastic as well. And at very opportune moments. So that was my back line. So then my two defensive mids were Jorginho and Pedri. I thought they both had fantastic games. Their pass rates were fantastic. Barely misplaced a pass. Interceptions. Pedri, for only being 18 years old, he was one hell of a player. Probably one of the finds of the tournament. Mm-hmm. So not too many ex- explanation that the only other person who was considering was uh, Pierre Hoiberg, who played for Denmark. Uh, so shout out to him. And then uh, my three attacking players. I mean, this guy is a no-brainer. Uh, Chiesa absolutely dominated every single time he played. He just dominated. He made defenders look foolish. Okay. And then I had in the middle, I had Raheem Sterling. Not so much for his performance in the finals, but what he did before. I mean, his goals basically carried England all the way to the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. And then on the left-hand side, I had the young Danish player, Damsgaard. I thought he was another find of the tournament. He is trickery, fantastic. I couldn't leave him out. His goal against England with that free kick, top-notch. Not enough credit has been given to him. Like we mentioned, Vivek, if this was a Cristiano Ronaldo or a Messi putting that in, we're just going to wax lyrical about them. And then yep. finally, my striker up front is having a really hard time picking between Kane and Lukaku. But I ended up going for Lukaku just because in the games that he played, he was an absolute bulldozer. I mean, he was he was one of the best strikers until they got eliminated. So that was my team. Yeah, so we've got uh, a few subtle differences. For me, the goalkeeper w- was Donnarumma. I think he might have even made a case that he's the best goalkeeper in the world now. 
mm -hmm. uh, with his performance uh, across the tournament. Like you said, every time there was a moment that he was needed, he was perfection. Defensively, in terms of the center pairing, like you, I didn't view it as, oh, can I fit Maguire into the team? Can I fit this person into the team? I, I said, who is the best defensive pairing in the middle of defense? And so for me, it was either going to be both Maguire and Stones or it was going to be Chiellini and Bonucci. And I opted for Chiellini and Bonucci. Mm -hmm. Left back, that's an easy one, Luke Shaw. Right back, I went a bit left field, you could say. Uh, I picked uh, Vladimir Sufa. I thought he had a good tournament for the Czech Republic. Uh, they got to the quarterfinals, which many did not see coming. And I think I was debating between him and actually even before Kyle Walker, I was, I was going to show my bias and throw uh, Denzel Dumfries into the mix because even though the Dutch went out, I thought he had a really good tournament. And mm -hmm. even against the Czech, he, he was pretty good. So I went with uh, Vladimir Sufal because uh, I wanted to spread the love a little bit. In the midfield... In my trio, in my 4-3-3, I have Hoibier, Jorginho, and Pedri. Mm -hmm. And for me, that takes care of the solidity. I'm not worried about conceding any goals. And I thought there was enough creativity between those three as well to really link up with my front three, which is Chiesa, Lukaku, and Raheem Sterling. Wow, okay. So yeah, so definitely some subtle differences in there. So you went with... Chiesa, Sterling, and Lukaku. So no place for, let's say, that a Damsgaard or a Kane or anybody like that. Yeah, so I think uh, Kane, I sort of penalized him for the slow start mm -hmm. that he had to the tournament. And frankly, I think he got lucky against Denmark that the penalty came right back to him. That could have been a really embarrassing moment, especially you look at the form that Schmeichel was in in that match specifically obviously he was really good for the entire tournament minus that first game uh, against finland if england had got into a shootout against denmark which michael looking the way he was i wouldn't have liked england's chances there either and that could have looked really bad on kane so mm -hmm. uh, he got he got some minus points there uh from me fair enough now, okay. go ahead Oh, no, I, I was just going to throw in, just for the fun of it, I was like, hey, what would my substitutes look like if I if I wanted a bench with this 11? And so I only named five substitutes. I threw Patrick Schick in there. I threw Harry Maguire in there, Marco Verratti. And I also gave a shout out to Emil Forsberg because I thought he had a really good tournament for Sweden. The wild card that I threw in there was Kieran Trippier. And for me, when I look at England throughout this tournament, he has to be the utility player of the tournament. Played on the left, played on the right, putting crosses into the box. If you want a substitute, that has to be one of the most valuable substitutes that you can have. And he could probably take a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? One other person who I need to give a shout out to as well is Zinchenko from the Ukrainian team. Zinchenko or Yarmolenko. Either of them would have made mm. my substitutes bench because they were fantastic in getting their team as far as they did. Yeah, th those are good shouts as well. We haven't mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> How about that? Top scorer of the Euros. <laughs> he's made plenty of other teams, so I think he's okay not making this one. 
Carl, I think that just about wraps it up. I don't know about you. No, I'm good, Vivek. I'm really, really hoping that the next time we we have an episode, we have some good news to bring you. Let's hope that our, uh, you know, our transfer team can can do the business. <laughs> A reminder: we are on Twitter at Red Couch Manx. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.